Why do we have hormones and sex hormones? If you've got a period that's lasting seven days, you still might have some ongoing hormone issues. I often get asked about soy milk. I'm not necessarily a fan of soy milk and that's mainly because they might be stress hormones that are holding you back from losing weight. Hormones will affect not just our reproductive tissue, but our whole being and our whole psyche. Welcome to Hormones with Sam, your guide through the confusing world of hormone health. I'm your host, Sam Patrick, here to help you demystify and unlock the secrets to living a vibrant, happy life. Together, let's make hormones fun and sexy. Today on Hormones with Sam, we're going to be discussing the four stages of woman's journey through life and the different hormone changes that she'll go through and how that impacts on the body and some things that you can do if it's affecting you in a negative way. Now, historically, and I've been in the industry now for a long time, I used to be able to say that, you know, men were men and everyone knew what I meant and girls were girls. And uh, now with a lot of things changing and gender fluidity, um, Things are a little bit cloudier. but So when I speak, I'm going to be talking about a girl or a woman, female, born with a vagina and males being those born with two testes and a penis or one testy, whatever combination they've got. And that to me is the delineation between what depicts a male and what depicts a female. Now, the, the hormones also play a massive role and they're produced by those reproductive tissues. So in the male and we're going to focus on women, but just so you understand that in a male, a lot of their hormones, especially their sex hormones, are produced by their testes. Now in women, we produce our sex hormones from a couple of different locations. We produce them from the eggs, our ovaries, our adrenals, our fat supplies, and they come under the banner of sex hormones. Now, this is a subgroup. Today, we're not talking about so much stress hormones or sugar hormones. We're predominantly talking about the impact on sex hormones on your physical and physiological and psychological self. Now, why do we have hormones um, and sex hormones? Well, the beautiful, it's just such a beautiful space and it's an absolute miracle that uh, women get to enjoy this. But we um, are designed to keep the species alive. It's a big brief, girls, and don't ever shy away from it or feel ashamed if you want to have a child because now it can be a little bit like, well, you're going to have a baby. Um, thank goodness people are because that's what is keeping our species going. It's the procreating and replicating of humans and uh, the merging of DNA strands because we know over time that if people don't leave their clan and their village and have children with outside of that, that the species becomes weaker. So what happens with a child is born? Let's assume in this case it's a female baby and she'll, develop, she'll already have all her eggs at that point inside her body. Now, interesting, she will have those eggs depicted by her mother when her mother conceives her. So eggs don't change from that point forward. And what's happening in the grandma, even more importantly... So the, the little baby mum, little baby, her grandmother and the health of her grandma will depict a lot about the DNA quality within her eggs. So grandmas, <laughs> if you, well, you might probably not having babies now anymore, grandmas, but girls, it's something to think about, being in your optimal health when you have babies. Now, little baby girl, she'll have all the eggs that she's going to ever produce in her life already 
in those ovaries. When you think about it, it's absolutely remarkable. A wee little baby, um, about this big, and it's got the ability, or not the ability to have a baby at that point, but the egg's already there to produce another human. They just kind of sit there dormant. Nothing happens. You might be familiar with what happens to kids. They start walking, running, going to school, growing up. And then around the age of 10, 11, depending on the country and the social influences and foods upon that little person, they'll start to develop what's called the second sexual hormones. In women, the two main ones are estrogen and progesterone. Now, estrogen is considered the female hormone. It uh, is responsible for a, a little girl turning into a pubescent girl. At that stage, the oestrogen will, um, I'm sure you know where boobies are, I don't know, I've got my hands there, but anyway, <laughs> breast development will start. They will start getting widened hips so they can house a pregnancy. They'll start getting hair under their arms, down below, and we call these the secondary sexual characteristics. It's unusual for girls not to get that because oestrogen spikes quite highly around that time and it will just take care of those things naturally. It also kickstarts the monthly cycle. So known as the menses or the menstrual period, um, it's a cycle that ebbs and flows each month for that girl's years until there all those eggs are used up. It is actually an ebb and flow of hormones. So once again, oestrogen is a predominant hormone through those cycling months as well as progesterone produced at this point now by an egg. I want to talk go from puberty to the fertile years because um, maybe, you know, girls can have a baby as soon as they start having that cycle. And you might have heard in Africa young girls back in the day, now they're trying to curtail it a little bit with um, contraception interventions such as condoms. But young girls as young as 10, 11, and certainly if you go back through history, were having children quite young. Nowadays that's been shifted forward and it's con you're considered a young mum and this is very you know different country to country, culture to culture, but you're considered a young mum if you're around the 20 to 22-year-old bracket. And, in fact, 20 to 25 is our optimal years for having babies. Career path introduced so and women are often having babies into their 30s and late 30s and it's becoming problematic for some of those women. Let's focus on these fertile years and what happens with the sex hormones. Now, I'll describe a uh, cycle for you because it isn't, doesn't start down in the ovary. It actually starts in the pituitary gland, which is between your two eyebrows and back a little bit, tiny little gland that has, that some people call it the master gland. It certainly is responsible for lots of things and in the woman, it is responsible for kickstarting your monthly cycle. So we've got all those little eggs down just in your ovaries, not doing anything, little specks, waiting for the tap on the shoulder that it's their turn to pop out and see if it can be um, conceived. Follicle stimulating hormone or FSH is the first hormone that's released from the pituitary gland and will travel down the bloodstream to an ovary. And this is very interesting. I learned this when I was writing my book on fertility. Um, it's called Fit for Fertility. But the ovaries actually take it in turns to have a cycle, to have the to take over and hatch that follicle. 
So FSH or follicle stimulating hormone goes down the bloodstream, finds one of those ovaries and knocks on the door, um, get one of those eggs out, which the ovary does on command. Yes, thank you. Egg pops out. Another hormone from the pituitary called luteinizing hormone will then come down and it kind of ripens that egg. At about day 14, and I'll go back actually and explain what day one is. Day one is when FSH is first released. On day 14, so that process occurs for two weeks in a healthy, average cycled woman, we get this glitch in the body where that egg is hatched. It's called ovulation. Now, I shouldn't say a glitch, but we get a rise in estrogen at that point as well. So over means egg. And ovulation means that that egg is hatched out. Oestrogen will go up and that's the glitch I'm referring to because often around that point women will say, I've got a headache or a migraine or they get um, a couple of hours of feeling really off or a pimple will pop up. And that's because they've just ovulated. That egg is now circulating through the body and if it um, ideally, if it follows a normal suit, it will travel down the fallopian tube into the uterus where it's either going to run into a sperm and that can happen anywhere along there, up the fallopian tube or down in the uterus. And if that doesn't occur, then it will start to decay and naturally die, which occurs over about seven days, and then it will be flushed out. Now, while the egg is there, it's just so fascinating, while the egg is there, it starts producing levels of progesterone, which is a fantastic hormone, and oestrogen. Now, those two hormones, the role is to prep the body, the female body, for a potential pregnancy. So our breasts might engorge a little bit. We um, thicken up the lining on our endometrium, which is the inside of the womb, also known as the uterus. So if it does collide and there's a follicle that's made, it has somewhere to embed. So we get extra blood flow to the uterus as well. So if fertility doesn't occur, like if there's no sperm and there's no conception and there's no embedding of that egg, it will decay naturally over the seven days and it'll be flushed out and we know that to be a period which should, and I really want to um, talk about the period and what a normal cycle is, that should only last three to four days. If you've got a period that's lasting seven days, it's too long. And it's a conversation that doesn't happen in playgrounds. It's not happening in schools. So a lot of girls will be bleeding for seven to eight days thinking that's normal. It's not. It's too long. If, you've only, if you only bleed for two days, that's fine. Shorter doesn't matter, but longer certainly does. It takes a lot of effort for the body to do that and it can be quite draining. Now, the hormone levels that go up, the oestrogen and progesterone, while that egg is being you know, there and active, prepping your body for a potential pregnancy can um, create some negativity if uh, the levels go too high. You might have heard of a, um, the premenstrual syndrome, so pre-menstrual pre, syndrome, PMS. There's a couple of variations on that, PPMD and uh, different dysphoria conditions, but essentially when a cycle's not going according to plan or there's been too many hormones produced, we, what we'll see is that week after ovulation and the week before the period, symptoms will amplify. And they're often due to two things. The progesterone is too low and the egg's not strong enough or not making enough progesterone. So it is like the oestrogen is too high and we call that oestrogen dominance. Or um, the oestrogen is just not being cleared out and it's building up. Progesterone might be normal and oestrogen is high. Once again, it's like an oestrogen dominant phenomena.
Now, many shades of PMS, there's some that affect the brain, and we call that a dysphoric PMS, and that's because of the relationship between progesterone and GABA. And progesterone, if your levels are low, won't be helping with the GABA, which is anxiolytic or helps with anxiety. But most of the problems that um, will come from the low progesterone or too much oestrogen. Now, high oestrogen, what it does in our body, and you, if you've had PMS, you'll relate to some of this. It can make us, well, I call it Bridget Jones, happy, sad. So any low moods, flippant moods, inability to feel motivated or excited that week before your period, you can probably call it PMS. It can create pimples, headaches, migraines, fluid retention, irritable bowel. And when I say fluid retention, that can affect women's fingers so they'll find that they'll, they'll, their rings will get tight, it'll be hard to close their hands uh, or they might notice it in their ankles or around their belly. And with the irritable bowel, that's that fluctuating, going to the loo, not being able to go to the loo, bloated tummy, feeling yuck, feeling full, feeling bleh. So um, oestrogen can affect all those things as well as that can affect the cycle. So it can make the cycle heavier, shorter, clottier. So can low progesterone. So low progesterone can shorten up the cycle, create more clots than, in fact, no clot is normal. Clots shouldn't be occurring at all. So that can be either high estrogen or low progesterone. And certainly PMS, in my experience with doing saliva testing, is that it's one or both of those phenomena. Now back to the period itself. As I said, it should only last for a couple of days, two to three days. The first day, and this is for the young girls that might listen to this, you might get a little bit of spotting. You might notice it on your knickers. It's an inconvenience. If you can set a clock or get an app and start, you know, if you're regular, you'll at least know when it's happening. Then on the second day is usually the heaviest day and the third day and the fourth day, it should be tailing off. So heavy, then whittling away to nothing. And on the fourth day, maybe it goes into the fifth day, what we call spotting. It might be a browner colour um, and a couple of little spots are normal and then it should stop. It's not normal to get spotting mid-cycle. That's not normal, something you might have a fibroid or you might be really low on progesterone and it might warrant doing saliva tests or having it checked out. Similarly, clotting isn't normal, doesn't mean anything major It might be going on, but it certainly might herald um, the fact that you go and get some more intervention because you might have dropped your progesterone, have too much oestrogen or be low on iron. It's another very common cause of too many clots. Now, let's just say the fertile years are great. Have the baby, pop out a baby, breastfeed and all sorts of hormones are involved with that process of a female's life. Two hormones that I'll mention here that are just gorgeous through this time and fascinating are prolactin and oxytocin. Prolactin makes our boobies produce milk. Like how crazy is that? But they, do, they don't do it any other time in our life or they shouldn't. Once again, if they do, you need to get that one checked out. But when we have a baby and it starts suckling, the prolactin, also produced up here in the pituitary, enables our mammary tissue to make a food that feeds this baby. Like, it's just incredible. I've, had, I've been fortunate enough to have three children, breastfed them all for a year each, and just the fact you'd watch this thing grow on nothing else except your ability to make milk is what I think. It's an absolute miracle. And something if you... Um, I believe every woman should give a go. And on another podcast, I was talking about stress. 
After the baby's born, it's really important if you do want to give breastfeeding a go that you're not stressed while you're doing it because it will just be like, no milk will come out. Got to be nice and relaxed in a subdued environment. If you get really um, able at doing it, and certainly I was, you can do it out and about. I see women now walking in parks, holding the baby up and they're walking, you know. It's a you know, new thing that you can breastfeed. Um, you don't have to be um, secluded and hidden away in the, in the shadows of life, but um, certainly if you're relaxed, it allows the milk to fall in easier. The baby will suck away at that point and as the baby gets older or they're more distracted, your milk supply will adjust to that baby. Another true phenomena, it's, it's like your breasts don't belong to you anymore. They're part of the baby's um, life and you're just the vehicle that you have to look after your body, nurture your body, make sure you're well hydrated so you can produce that milk. And that hormone that's involved with that is called prolactin. Oxytocin is another hormone that I'll give mention to now and it is my favourite hormone. It's the hormone that makes us bond with this crying thing, this thing that's pooing, weeing and keeping you up all night. Because if we didn't make oxytocin, I'm pretty sure a lot of us would leave it on the couch and uh, walk out for two weeks and just not want to know about it because they're pretty demanding. They are fully dependent on us, these wee little babies. And oxytocin is a hormone that makes us feel in love with it. Now, not everyone feels in love with their baby. So there are very shades of this. And there were times where I would lie on the bed with my babies and I'd just look at them and I was just so in love with them. And I say to other mums, don't you want to just, you know, eat their bum like they're just so yummy. They're just so gorgeous. <laughs> that just sounds a bit crazy, but, you know, if you've been there, you'll know what I mean. You take their little nappy off and they're just all chunky and yummy. And that's oxytocin. And it makes us feel really close to our children, which is, if it's not happening at the levels that I've expressed it, maybe chat to someone. Um, maybe you're experiencing stress. Maybe the baby's taking too much of you away from you and you're getting burnt out. But I'll tell you now that I've got three or I've had three teenage children, it's really important that that oxytocin kicks in and you fall in love with them because it gets tested later in life when they hit those pubescent years and those sex hormones I was talking about before kick in. And I forgot to mention that oestrogen can make teenage girls what we call princess bitch faces. So uh, it's a great book and I forgot to mention it, but uh, teenage girls can give mum and dad a really rough time. Um, so that's usually oestrogen. <laughs> so back to the mum. You've had your baby, you've done your breastfeeding, the baby's weaned itself off, you're now going to solids and water, you know, they don't need too many other fluids at that point. And you're going back into your pre-baby body. Hormones should start to balance themselves out. So depending on where you are in your fertile years, and oh, look, I just wanted to mention there's this, um, it's not a myth, it's meant to be truth, but when you're breastfeeding, you've got high levels of prolactin, that's meant to impede progesterone and fertility. It's not foolproof though, and there are plenty of women who have had sex while they're breastfeeding and ended up with another baby. But generally, while you're breastfeeding, you won't be having periods and there's a period of grace where you shouldn't be able to fall pregnant. But, you know, if you do, don't, <laughs> don't look me up. It can happen. So little babies have got older, they've gone to school, they're going to high school now themselves and you might be working, you might be um, home duties. And as I said, it's, I'm hoping your body's returned to its pre-baby state. If it hasn't, you still might have some ongoing hormone issues and 
they might be stress hormones that are holding you back from losing weight, but the sex hormones after and prolactin and um, oxytocin should just naturally return without any intervention because the body, the female body, is just the most remarkable thing. Now, once all those eggs have hatched, now remember I said at the beginning that you've got a finite number of eggs. I don't know the thousands, but there's so many of them. Not all of them get their opportunity to shine and hatch. And sometimes you might do a couple, sometimes you might miss some. But over the age of 40, we start moving into what's called the premenopausal era. Oh, some people for error. <laughs> it can be a real upsy downsy time for women. And I remember years ago when I was about 39, uh, someone tapped me on the shoulder, you know, an older lady, and just, well, older than me, they went, might not have been old. Um, and they just said, Oh, you watch out, you know, now that you're turning 40, you'll start gaining weight, your life's going to go upside down. Certainly not news I wanted to hear and certainly news I was going to defy because I believe if we understand our hormones that that doesn't need to be the trajectory at all. Hit 40, things are starting to change, you might be burnt out at work, you might be aware that menopause is on the horizon. So what sort of things do you need to know about from a hormone perspective? Now, menopause is a natural time in your life where all those eggs are used up and the adrenal glands start producing and fat stores producing that estrogen and progesterone. If you're burnt out, that won't happen. And I'm a big fan of women not busting a boiler over the age of 40, doing too much, you know, 16 jobs and running around after kids. It's time to pull back a little bit. Work on what you really want in life and let put health up the top. If health's not in your top four, three uh, commitments each day, then you might struggle during this time. And it is a natural time. It's unavoidable if you're a female all your eggs are used up, you will go through this transitionary period called um, menopause and I'll just be very clear on some terms here. There's pre-menopause, that's before you go through menopause. Menopause, like it's not an exact time but it's when all the eggs are used up and then from that point forward, 12 months after, we say that you're menopausal or postmenopausal. The time that it takes you to go through that, though, is called perimenopause. And you might hear it being called peri. You know, it's, it's a bit like cortisol at the moment. It's a real buzzword. Are you going through peri? Yeah, I'm peri. I've got peri brain, peri this, peri that. I don't know that we need to talk about it like that, but people are saying they've got peri brain, i.e. their memory's gone or they've got peri belly. or So it's really just referring to that time in the life where they're going through altering periods, they're, they're aware that their body's changing, they might be flushing, they might be having broken sleep. Now, some of those things are normal for a short period of time while your adrenals do the catching up with that lag and start producing those estrogen and progesterone hormones that your body just adores. If you're burnt out and that doesn't happen though, that perimenopausal period can last a very long time. I've had women in the clinic who are 75 saying I'm still flushing and I'm like, what? When did you, it's called your last known menstrual period. When was your last known menstrual period? When did you last have a period? Oh, when I was 51. I'm like, good grief, you know, 24 years. That's not, that's not cool and it's so unnecessary. So letting your body catch up with that lag so you can go into that postmenopausal phase naturally and easily is quite an um, empowering time. And, in fact, around the world in tribes, that was when the woman was considered the wise woman of the village. 
You know, you're older, you've got all this wisdom, you get your body back, you can't fall pregnant, you can have a lot of fun and uh, you, you can be as strong mentally and physically as you ever have been. Some of the things that I did want to touch on was the um, baby brain, the preggy ba- brain, the um, menopause brain. Hormones will affect not just our reproductive tissue but our whole being and our whole psyche. If you feel like you're struggling with any of this at any point, please, you know, look at doing my mini hormone course or reach out to someone who specialises in hormones because certainly when your hormones are balanced, a lot of these things will take care of itself. As you'll be aware by now, I'm a massive fan of navigating hormones naturally because I believe with empowerment that you can do that. I want to talk about some foods that are really important for us ladies and that's all our greens and vegetables. So I generally recommend that people eat rainbows. Make sure that you're eating the spectrum of colour that's on that rainbow. It is tough to get blue foods, I get it, but we can get purple foods, you know, your beetroot, your adichies, um, you can get orange foods, you can find yellow foods and red foods and certainly green foods. For women and oestrogen in particular, broccoli is a superfood. If you don't like broccoli, see if you like broccolini. If you're not too much of a fan with that, look at some nuts and seeds such as flax seeds. In those particular foods, there's some naturally occurring enzymes that help our body break that hormone estrogen down. It's really important if you suffer with PMS or if you've got period issues that are too frequent or too heavy or you're going through the change of life. Green leafy vegetables are also um, have a lot of those phytoestrogens that are important for us as women, and tofu, tempeh, soybean-based products that um, are very interesting. Actually, they're called phytoestrogens. What they do is they modulate. Modulate means they can amp up or dial down. So if you're low on estrogens and you have say something like tempeh, it will modulate things up. And if you have too much of it, it will block the receptor so you're not getting the harmful impact of high estrogen. I often get asked about soy milk. I'm not necessarily a fan of soy milk and that's mainly because most soy milks are made very commercially and any phytoestrogen or estrogenic benefit just isn't in soy milk. So reach out for tempehs and tofus and green leafy veggies. Organic, always better because we don't want um, weedicides and pesticides which can mimicry estrogen in your body. That'll just send your body into a whole world of confusion. Now, do you need medicating throughout your, uh, these phases of your life? That's a decision you'll have to decide. I'm such a strong advocate of managing your hormones through food, your mindset, exercise, support groups, psychological well-being, that they are there and we do live in an age where you can reach out, see a doctor and get pill or come and see someone and get some supplements. See how you go first. Obviously, if you need help, don't suffer in silence. Look at supplements first, natural ways to augment and balance your hormones. If that's not working for you, maybe get a medical opinion. And um, we'll talk about things like HRT and bioidentical hormones on the episodes of menopause. So I hope you've learned something today and the wonderful journey and the phases of being a woman throughout the cycles of life. If you like what you've heard, please go and follow on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and please leave a five-star review. Thank you.